Good morning. Great to see you in the house of the Lord on this. Isn't it a beautiful morning? Amen. Looking forward to uh, a couple of weeks from today is Easter service, our 7 a.m. sunrise service. That's going to be a glorious time. So uh, remember that. Two weeks from today, Easter, it's almost here. Let's stand together, begin our time of worship together this morning. Oh, worship the King. pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can come to your house today, that we can worship together and be together uh, to honor you and to hear from your word. Lord, I just pray that you guide us during our service today and guide us as we go throughout this week, Lord, that we implement the things that we learned today um, and that we know are true in your word. In your name I pray. Amen. You can be seated, guys. We're so excited that you're here today with us and that we get to worship together. And so thank you so much for coming out. 
If you're a guest here today, we'd love for to know a, a record of your visit, have a record of your visit. So if you want to fill out one of these guest forms in the pew pocket and let us know a little bit about yourself, you can also um, fill out prayer requests there. We can pray for those as a staff throughout the week. Or you can go online at fbccana.org and you can do that there. But we are just so excited that you could be here and we want to continue to worship and have a great time of fellowship together.
and that's our prayer that our life would praise him. Let's stand together. Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me. Let's sing it together. There is a way I love to hear. I love to
Father, we do lift your name on high today, Father, because there is power in your name. There is strength in your name. Father, there is hope in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Father, thank you for being in this place today and hovering over us, Father, as we sing your praises. Father, our prayer is that our worship is pleasing to you this morning. Father, let us go out from this place and, Father, worship you throughout each and every day. Father, we pray for our pastor today as he comes to share the word with us, Father, that you've laid on his heart today. Father, we pray for those in our congregation that are not able to be here today because of illness. Father, those that have lost loved ones, Father, we pray especially for the Edens family that you would uh, strengthen and comfort them. Father, we pray that you would use us as your children to honor you. Father, to spread your light in this dark world. Father, we love you. Oh, how we love Jesus. Father, we love you today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Be seated, church. Boy, it is great to look out and see a crowd like this at 8.30 in the morning. Thank you for being here today. Um, It is a joy to come and to worship. And what a joy, right, to be able to sing that there is strength and there is power and there is hope in the name of our Lord. Somebody say amen to that. And um, we do sing that song, Jerry, we sing it with you today, and um, we want you to know that we love you as a church. I speak on behalf of all of us, and we're going to gather together to celebrate Sharon's homegoing. Uh, We miss her, but we are certainly grateful that by the blood of Jesus that she's been saved, that she is seeing our Savior face to face. That funeral is Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. church, and I hope that you'll be there for that. Uh, Miss Patty Canout, we sing that song with you today, too. Patty has not been here since October. I think that's right, and she has made her way home today. And uh, we love you, and I'm so excited to see you. And I just can't stand out to say Rick and Marietta Reed right here down front. Marietta, I know that you've been through it as well, and I'm so happy to have you all singing right behind me this morning. And if you're a guest of ours today, thank you for being here with us. Um, We are a church that's ready to embrace you, love you, and um, surround you and welcome you into our forever family. I have been preaching in recent days in this incredible journey. I think it's an incredible journey as we have been remembering the big events of the Old Testament. We've been embracing the big names of the Old Testament. And I think review is always important, at least for me. It reminds me of where I've been and where I'm going and perhaps even where I am. And so if you haven't been with us in recent weeks or you just need a reminder because we were kind of off and in a different vein last Sunday, I want you to know kind of where we've been in this study. We've already enjoyed several lessons, uh, two sermons on David, two sermons on Elijah, three sermons on Moses, and then last Sunday, one big powerful sermon on Samson, right, or at least two Sundays ago. And so one sermon on Samson. And this morning we get to turn our attention and spend some time with Elijah's successor. His name was Elisha. Now don't get confused today, right? One is Elijah with a J and one is Elisha with an SH and we have to know the difference. And I do not have an Elisha joke this morning. I'm sorry to say to you, but I will say something even more important that Elisha was a miracle worker. Did you know that? 
The prophet Elisha was a miracle worker, and it's important that we say that because the Bible is filled with people who perform miracles, or I should say this, it's filled with people who are used of God, and God performed the miracles through them. Now, the Lord Jesus, God the Son, performed more miracles than anybody else. After Jesus, I guess we could say maybe next was Moses with all the plagues and things that we saw God do through him. And then second after Moses was this figure, Elisha. Now, I've read some theologians who refer to these as minor miracles, but I kind of push back at that today because is there really any such thing as a minor miracle? A miracle is a miracle, right? And if God does that through people's lives, we ought to step up and take notice. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have the chance to look at five of these miracles. Tonight, I invite you back with us because we're going to be in Elisha part two, if you will, and we're going to look at some additional miracles that Elisha was a part of. And the point I want to make as we begin is this, and I want you to remember this throughout the day and throughout the week, that every miracle has a message and every message has its own miracle. All right, let's say that together. Together, Every miracle has a message and every message has a miracle. And so today we're going to look at five miracles and five messages. And to get this off, to kick this off today, I want to transition and look into the transition between Elijah and Elisha. So take your Bibles today and go with me to 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Actually, we'll read verses 7 through 12. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. Let's go ahead and stand today as we honor the reading of God's Word. And as you turn in your Bible, you can certainly look on your phone. You can look on the screen in front of you. I'll be reading, as always, from the New International Version. 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. Fifty, Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours otherwise not. Now let me stop right there just for a second. Today, if you have a mentor or a teacher in your life, there's a good lesson here for you. You ought to keep your eyes on them because you never know how long you're going to have them. You never know how many lessons they still have to teach you. So keep your eyes on your mentors. Keep your eyes on your teachers. Now let's follow that up with this. And here's why I say it in verse 11 and 12. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them apart. 
Today, as we allow Elisha to be a mentor in front of us, may we see the miracles and the messages God has for us today. Would you say amen to that? Amen. Be seated, church family. It's a big moment, right? It is a huge moment in the Old Testament because in this moment, Elisha picks up the mantle that seemingly is floating down from heaven, and in this moment, he becomes the prophet of God. Now, before we race on, there was a little phrase in there that's so easy for us to miss, and I'm not going to let that happen today. I want to focus on the phrase, Elijah went up. Did you see that in the text? It says, Elijah went up. Folks, you may not know this, but that phrase is tied to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, where it talks about the rapture. It says, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. It's the word harpadgo in the Greek. The Latin word, you'll recognize this one, raptio. It's where we get our word rapture. You see, when they were translating the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek, and that's called what? The Septuagint, right? Called the Septuagint because it was translated by 70 scholars. When they were translated this, this text, the Septuagint, into the Greek, that phrase, Elijah went up, guess what word they used? They chose to use the word rapture or harpadgo. It's interesting that we bring this up because what happened to Elijah is what's going to happen to Christians when Jesus Christ comes back. We won't die, friends. No, we'll be caught up just like Elijah. So Elisha takes the mantle. He takes on the role of the prophet of God. And with that, now we can dive into miracle number one. Now, I'm going to give each of these miracles a name today. You may or may not like my name, but I hope it helps you remember what we're talking about. And here's miracle number one. Walking through the water. Miracle number one is walking through the water. Go back to your Bibles. We're going to be in and out of the scripture today all day. Now, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Walking through the water. Here it is. He, Elisha, picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him And struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and left, and then he crossed over. Now let's start off with some Bible trivia. Folks, three times in the Bible, the Jordan River parts so that people can walk across. You probably know one of those. Joshua led the children of Israel right into Jericho. The waters parted before them. We just read the second one when Elijah and Elisha walked across themselves. And then now Elisha does it himself again. And you may say, well, this is no big deal, right? It's already been done. Elijah just did it, right? It's no big deal. It, but but here's what you need to realize. It was really some sort of prophetic test for Elisha. I mean, would Elisha trust God the same way his, 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 his mentor had? Would he trust God the same way Elijah had trusted God? 
And here he is with this barrier between him and what God wants him to do. And he has enough faith that he does what Elijah had done. He rolls up the mantle. He strikes the water with it. He spread, and it spreads apart and he walks across the Jordan um, floor, right? He trusted God and really showed faith. He performed the very first miracle of his ministry. So you say, Pastor, what's the message? Well, the message is this. When you follow God, He'll always make a way. When you choose to follow God, he'll always make a way. In other words, it may seem like there are obstacles in front of you. There may seem to be barriers in your journey for the Lord, right? There there may seem to be rivers that you can't cross, mountains that you can't climb, valleys that you can't descend into. But if you're following God, there is nothing that can stand in your way. It's true for you, and it's true for God's church. Somebody say amen like you mean it. Amen. Amen. Now, God may be leading you here this morning. God may be leading some of you to do some things, and you're afraid. And I get that. Because faith, right, sometimes can be a frightening journey. Maybe there's a river of unbelief that kind of lingers in your mind. Maybe it's a river of opposition, a river of confusion that's flowing right there in front of you. And all I want to say to you is this, is that you need to do the same thing Elisha did. You need to trust God and let him make the way. Miracle number one. Miracle number two. I'm going to call this salt in the spring, okay? Obviously, I'm very simple in my names. Salt in the spring. Now we go to 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So let's, keep, let's just keep trucking along with Elisha. The men of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha has spoken. Let's get right into the message this time. What's the message of miracle number two? That God alone can remove the curse of sin. Now, to understand this, we have to dive into where this miracle took place. Do you know where it took place? It took place in the city of Jericho. Now, we have some folks that just went to Jericho, and you're pretty excited right now because you actually have a vision in your mind. You have an image, not something that you conjured up in Sunday school, but something you saw with your own eyes. Folks, about seven to 800 years before this miracle took place, Joshua and the children of Israel came across the Jordan. Remember, it parted for them, and they fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down, right? Jericho was the most important city in the world at that time. There are signs in Jericho today that say it's the oldest city in the entire world. It would have been the most logical thing for the Israelites to just camp out there, to inhabit Jericho and be content to stay right there on the edge of the promised land. But God said, no, that's not my design for you. 
I'm going to declare that the city of Jericho is accursed, and so is any man who tries to rebuild it. So for six centuries, hardly anybody lived there, and 600 years later, here comes old Elisha, right? And he removes the curse. He throws salt into the spring. He he makes the water sweet and desirable for people to drink. And here's what I love. The text says the waters remain good to this day. Now, our group just went to Jericho. But here's something they may not have realized. I don't know if they saw it. They brought to their table bottles of water that said Jericho water. Friend, Elisha performed a miracle and God allows it to persist to this very day. They started drinking water then and they're still drinking it now. And so now to the message that I declared. God can remove the curse of sin. Remember, what's the miracle to us? Folks, we also live in a world that's cursed. We live in a world that's full of the poison of sin. It's the curse God pronounced on Adam and Eve because they sinned against him. And there are many poisonous waters out there, right? Would you agree? But do you know who we are? Make the connection with me. Who did Jesus say you are? You are the salt of the earth. Do you understand? God has called us to go out. He's, he's commanded us to spread ourselves, to insert ourselves into the poisonous waters of this world, the poisonous waters of the lost, cursed world. And when we do that, guess what? People come to know Jesus Christ. And when a person comes to know the Lord, the curse of sin is removed from their life, never to be entered into again. God's promises are what? Eternal. Do you see the power in this miracle? Oh my goodness, salt in the spring teaches us that God can remove the curse of sin. Who have you been salt for? That'll preach right there, won't it? Miracle number three. A better title. Bears for bad boys. Miracle number three, bears for bad boys. Not the miracle of the bad news bears, right? But, but bears for bad boys. And so now we pick it up, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. If you know your Bible, you gotta love this one, right? From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. That's significant, underline that. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and as he was walking along the road, some youths, That's the way the New International Version translates it. Some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. And he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. (laughs) Now, Now, this one is interesting, isn't it? Some youths. (laughs) Do you know the word used for the the youths right here? The Hebrew word? Na'ar. If you transpose it into English, N-A apostrophe A-R. Na'ar. Let me say this to you. These aren't kids. 
We kind of get the idea that all these little little punks come out there and they're jeering this old bald-headed guy, right? These little spoiled rotten brats are running around making fun of old people. But did you know that Isaac was 28 years old and the word na'ar was used for him? Did you know that Joseph was 39 years old and the word na'ar was used for him? This Hebrew word can mean anybody below the age of 40. Any na'ars in the room? <laughs> now, keep marching with me. In addition, most theologians note that this was in Bethel. Do you know what Bethel means? House of God, right? It was called the house of God because it was a holy place. This is where something significant had happened spiritually, historically. This is where Jacob met God. They named it Beth-el, house of God. But Ahab and Jezebel had set up pagan worship there. And these young people, these youths, they weren't just ordinary citizens. No, these were false worshipers. They were people who had bought in to this entire false pagan worship. They were enemies of God. They were enemies of the prophet of God. And when they said, go on up, catch the language, they were saying, why don't you just do like your mentor did? Why don't you just go up to heaven yourself, you old bald-headed guy? Now, I'm not going to make any ball-headed jokes right here because this week somebody got slapped for doing that, and I'm not going to engage in it, okay? But Elisha pronounced a curse, didn't he? That's the best joke I've told in a while. Thank you all very much. But Elisha pronounced a curse. Did you know it's exactly what Jesus Christ did? Jesus pronounced curses on the city of Chorazin and, and Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. You remember that? These na'ars, and that's my own plural word, they got mauled. And I'll guarantee you this. Nobody else in Bethel ever mocked a prophet again. Don't you agree? The message is pretty simple. Don't ridicule God's servants. Don't do it. Anytime you insult a servant of God, you're insulting God, not the servant. And you had better be careful about ever criticizing any child of God. And let me add to that, you better be careful about ever criticizing any church of God. Because the Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. And if you want to make a dude mad, talk about his bride. But don't be surprised if it does happen. Because in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says this, In the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Folks, when you talk to your friends about the second coming of Jesus, they may laugh. They may say, they've been saying Jesus is going to come back for 2,000 years. That's a bunch of baloney. But don't you stop talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Bears for bad boys. <laughs> Miracle number four. You're going to like this one. Ditches in the desert. This is in chapter three. I don't... I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to tell you this one. 
And here's the basic story of ditches in the desert. The kings of Edom and Judah and Israel have all come together to form one army, and they're going into battle against the king of Moab. And they go out into the desert to to work their battle, and they have a supply chain issue, right? They run out of the most important thing imaginable, not petroleum, not gas, not fuel. They run out of what? They run out of water. They're in the desert, And they say, let's call the prophet of God. So they call for Elisha and he tells them to go out and dig lots and lots and lots of ditches in the desert. And God's going to fill them with water. And the army could have said, what? Dig ditches in the desert? That makes no sense whatsoever. Are you crazy, Elisha? But they decided to trust the word of God, the prophet of God. They got their shovels out and a miracle happened. The next day, the ditches were full of water. Here's the message. We need to do our part to receive God's blessings. We need to do our part to receive God's blessing. What's your part to receive God's blessing? It's one word. You know what it is? Obedience. The part God asks you to do... To receive his blessing is obedience. God says, you do what I tell you to do, and you prepare yourself to receive my blessings, and then you'll receive them. Folks, the Bible contains tons of commands and principles that don't make any sense. Ditches in the desert, right? But the truth is, you and I don't have enough sense to make sense of God's word. Do you understand that? We don't have enough sense for God's word sometimes to even make sense. So sometimes all we have to do is just obey what God says. Do the things the way God says to do it and then he'll fill our ditches. What's God asking you to do? God, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't matter. You do it if you want to receive the blessing of God. Miracle number five, the last miracle of this morning. Ongoing oil. Go to 2 Kings 4. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. This section in my Bible is titled The Widow's Oil. I'm titling Ongoing Oil. Here's how it reads. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. This is a serious moment. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs and they're going to try to take my kids to pay off my debt. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. I like that. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They bought, they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her sons, uh, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Let me ask you just a very deep scientific question, okay? 
What happens when you pour liquid? Eventually it runs out, right? It's not coming out of a hose. You're pouring it out of a pitcher or a container. So eventually it runs out. Everybody knows that, but not this time. It just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. You say, Pastor, what's the message here? Well, the message is this. Honor and obey God and you'll always have enough. You'll always have enough. That's the promise of the word of God. The Bible doesn't say that you'll have more than enough. The Bible doesn't say that you'll have all you want. The Bible does say you'll have all you need. It does say God will take care of you. And here's my testimony to you. I have found if you honor God with the first 10% of your earnings, that's called a tithe, you'll discover that the 90% you're left with goes further than the 100% you had in the first place. And that doesn't make sense. We say this a lot today, right? It doesn't make sense to the accountant. It doesn't make sense mathematically. It's crazy, but it's true in God's economy. When you God honor God first with the tithe, you start pouring your income into that month. It just seems to be there until it's all that you need, right? Let's close this thing. Let me close with one last idea. And it's connected to this ongoing oil miracle. You and I are the empty vessels also. You and I are the empty jars. And and many times in the text of the Bible, oil represents the Holy Spirit. Okay. So you and I are the jars, the empty vessels. The oil is the Holy Spirit. And he can't fill a vessel that's already full. Let me say it like this. Some people are so full of themselves. Some people are so full of their own ideas, so full of their own hobbies, so full of their own jobs, so full of of, of whatever, their own whatever. They can't be full of God's Holy Spirit. And the other thing is God won't fill a dirty vessel. Sometimes we want to come to God and say, God, fill me with your power, fill me with your spirit. But God says, I just can't do it. This morning, maybe you need to empty yourself of those things that are keeping you from being filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to get rid of some of the filth that's keeping Almighty God from filling you with His Holy Spirit. And trust me, when you do that, you'll find that the provision of the Spirit He gives, it'll never run out. Never forget this. Every In every miracle, there's a message. And in every message, I pray, there's a miracle. Let's pray together.